Hi, welcome to Play Therapy Across the Lifespan. This is a podcast to help counseling professionals and students use play therapy to facilitate deep healing. I'm glad you found us. I'm Dr. Denise Thomas, and I coordinate the play therapy specialization at Lipscomb University in Nashville. We've created this place for learning, growing, and being real. Play therapy can be exhausting, but so rewarding. Thanks for inviting us to join you on your journey. In season one, we want to start with the basics. How do you do this play therapy thing? Around here, we believe that play therapy is more than just kids, so we'll talk about using it with adults and adolescents, too. I know there's something for you, so let's get started. Today, I want to talk about the basics. We're going to talk about training, toys, and setting up spaces. Have you thought about how you would use play therapy in the work you do? Maybe you work with kids and you've realized that traditional talk therapy isn't going to work. You want to start by getting credible training in play therapy. It's great if you can take a course in your graduate program because you get to learn an entire philosophical, maybe a theoretical approach. An added bonus is that if you ever want to get your registered play therapist credential, graduate classes in play therapy count time and a half, usually 67 and a half of the 150 hours needed per class. But if you can't do that, then try to at least do one multi-day conference or training. Again, you want to learn a consistent treatment modality, not a string of techniques to apply whimsically. You might be surprised to learn that there are many different approaches to play therapy. Some are completely child-directed and some are therapist-directed. Many are a hybrid of the two. Some are rooted in theory, like Adlerian, Jungian, or attachment, and some are intentionally eclectic. There are lots of great options for doing play therapy. And while we all have our favorite approaches, the truth is we need variety because people are not the same. A third option for training is attending a workshop or training that's much shorter in duration. You might be able to find one near you at a4pt.org. These are good ways to learn more about something specific, but you may not get that big picture approach that you need. Still, it's a great way to meet others in your area who are doing play therapy too. Gary Landreth, in The Art of the Relationship, outlines four types of toys. You don't need a lot of toys. In fact, I teach students to create a mobile play therapy kit that can easily be portable. But if you have toys in each one of the four categories, your clients will have the tools to do the work they need to do. The four categories are these, real life, aggressive release, nurturing, and creative. So let me give you some examples of these. So in the real-life category, uh, these would be toys like a dollhouse, money, cars, cleaning supplies, things that your clients use in real life. For the aggressive release category, think about things like weapons, soldiers, scary animals. For the nurturing category, you might include things like baby supplies, parent and child toy pairs, um, or maybe even something really soft and snuggly like a blanket. For the creative category, anything that falls in the category of art supplies, 
or things like Play-Doh or musical instruments. All of those would be helpful there. You don't need to include all of these things, but you do need to include something from each category. So now let's talk about setting up the space. This is the fun part. You want to create a space that is inviting and comfortable, but able to handle some rough playing. This means you want durable furniture that is safe and easy to clean up. Avoid carpet if you can, because it's harder to clean up spills. Get some shelving that helps you keep the toys organized by category so it's consistent every time for the client. Try not to have so much stuff or so many colors that it's overstimulating. If you meet with parents, you might consider having a different office for that. But if you need to include that space, make it a different zone. So within these guidelines, you have a lot of liberty. Use colors and patterns that you like because you're going to spend a lot of time in this space. I'll encourage you to spend some time dreaming about the kind of ideal playroom that you'd like if money were no object. Go ahead, let your creative juices flow. Play therapy is wonderful with kids. I can't imagine doing therapy work without using play when I work with younger kids. But one of the surprising things for me was how effective it was with adolescents and adults. I got to places I couldn't get to with adolescent males by adding art. And then I naturally incorporated it with adults too, through this play therapy lens. And then suddenly the work got deeper, faster, and changes were bigger. And really, that's why I got into this profession. I want to help people, but not with band-aids. I want to do therapeutic work that has long-lasting results. So, I use play therapy with adults, too. If you want to incorporate this with older clients, first, get training in how to use it with kids. You want to learn a systematic approach for using play therapy, just like you would with kids. The application looks different with adults, but the basic how-to is very similar. With adults, though, you won't use typical toys as your tools. That would be too juvenile. Instead, expand the creative category of toys and watch how adults use them to do the same things. Deal with real life, express strong emotion, and nurture themselves. Over the upcoming podcast, we'll talk about the principles that help us adapt this for older clients. Make sure you subscribe because you won't want to miss out. People that love play therapy tend to be the kind of people that love fun, creativity, and relationships. They're the same people that twitch at the word research. Yet research is the backbone of this treatment modality. It gives our profession credibility, and it helps us become better at what we do as we learn about what works. I teach my students in the first semester to learn how to read a research article in 15 minutes or less. Yes, skimming is absolutely allowed. If you did this every workday for a year, you'd read about 250 articles instead of letting those journals pile up as unread reminders. And that's barely 3% of your work week. Rachel Sellers is that rare individual that is passionate about working with kids, 
but also passionate about research. She's going to share some of the current research in play therapy, and I promise it won't be dull and boring. Today, I'm going to talk about a study from the International Journal of Play Therapy that used expressive arts and child-centered play therapy techniques in group therapy with at-risk adolescent females. The girls in this study were referred to the school counselor for a variety of reasons, including disciplinary school referrals and difficult home situations. The goals for the group were that participants would develop appropriate social skills, gain an awareness of behaviors causing interpersonal problems with one another and their family members, and gain healthy coping skills and methods for dealing with their feelings. So the first half of each group was used as a time for the participants to share just their highs and low points of their weeks. The other hour was spent participating in the expressive arts activity for that week. Activities included two flora therapy activities with fresh flowers, mandalas, clay dream pots, and weaving your life. A few important themes emerged from this study. The first is that there were initial feelings of insecurity, which is pretty common in the beginning of group therapy, as well as expressive arts simply because the modality is usually pretty unfamiliar. The second is that there were an exploration of characteristics of self and families. Family of origin work was done through expressive mediums. The girls experienced increased expression of feelings, which is especially important in working with teenagers because they often have difficulties expressing themselves verbally. Working through art and play appeared to reduce their anxiety about talking about themselves. The girls also experienced feelings of accomplishment and pride, thus increasing their feelings of self-worth and self-esteem. They experienced stress relief, increased self-awareness, increased group cohesion, and an awareness of behavioral changes outside the group. The themes that emerged from the study support prior research findings on the benefits of using expressive arts and play therapy activities in group therapy. The results also reinforce the idea that adolescents often turn to arts-based methods of coping as a natural means of expression. To close this out, the study supports the idea that play therapy and expressive arts can provide a myriad of social, emotional, and behavioral benefits for adolescents and children. Thanks for summarizing that research article, Rachel. Where did you say you got that article? It was from the International Journal of Play Therapy. Great. And we'll have the link to that uh, complete journal article in the show notes. Yeah. So what resources would you recommend for someone who is really just beginning their play therapy journey? Well, I always begin with the book that I use in my introduction to play therapy course. And if you you haven't had the opportunity to take a graduate course, it's still a great read. And that would be Gary Landreth's Play Therapy, The Art of the Relationship. He's kind of the Fred Rogers of play therapy, and it's a go-to manual for all things related to that. kind of walks you through the system and what you need. Another resource, though, that I'd like to add today is a website couple of websites, actually. The first one is called roomstyler.com. So earlier I talked about um, designing your ideal playroom, and that's a great website to go in and uh, you can put in plants and change the colors of the walls, and you can even add in a little therapy dog, um, some fun things. And so it's a great way to dream. The other website that I want to add would be the Association for Play Therapy, and their website is the letter A, the number four, pt.org. And you can go there and you can find all the trainings in your area.
that wraps up today's show. Try this today. Go to a4pt.org and look for a training near you. Also, go have some fun creating your ideal playroom at a site like roomstyler.com. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe. Then you won't miss a single episode. This podcast is made possible through the Lipscomb University Center for Play Therapy and Expressive Arts. If you have comments or questions, let us know at playtherapypodcast at gmail.com. Also, special thanks to our audio engineer, Sheldon Clark, who happens to be a graduate from our program with a play therapy specialization. And to take us out, we want to continue a song written by another one of our play therapy students, Sarah Beth Goh. It's called Firefly, and if you like it, you can find both Sarah Beth's and Sheldon's original songs in the show notes or at playtherapypodcast.org with links to the research and resources we talked about. I'm your host, Dr. Denise Thomas, saying thank you for caring about your clients, kids, adolescents, and adults. Now go play, create, and heal. You've got so much to say And not a lot of words I'll come along and believe That your song isn't broken Soon you're going to see That you've got what you need To sing Isn't broken. Soon you're going to see.